Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mir, on this Tuesday afternoon. And you know it, since it's Tuesday, time for Andrew Dambina for this week's Tuesday segment. Andrew, good to speak to you today. How are you? Happy International Gin and Tonic Day. Oh, happy International Gin and Tonic Day to you. I hope you've not had too many before going on air, Noreen. How did you know? Not had enough. <laughs> Actually, not had any. Right. Somewhere in between all of those comments. Yeah. Exactly, right. yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. what have you got for our listeners today? Okay. Well, I do have something about gin. That'll be the last thing I talk about of three different topics. And the first one I'm going to kick off with has a local connection. And it's about something we spoke of uh, a few months back, which was concerning the tracking of large-scale, not always legal imports of Australian seafood into mainland China. I don't know if you remember that uh, that chinwag that we had, which was uh, it was. I mean, it followed a, an extremely thorough few months investigation, investigation. by South China Morning Post, mm-hmm. of uh, which which concluded that huge numbers were being imported from Australia into Hong Kong to get into the mainland quietly. And the reason for that, if the listener didn't hear us talking about it a few months ago, was that there's a, a kind of unofficial ban on Australian lobsters, uh, along with an official ban on many other products that we've talked about before, meat, wine, or big tax on wine, after the Australian government uh, pushed for international um, investigations and probes into the origin of COVID, and there was a kind of trade war between China and Australia after that. So what, 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 what popped up um, a few months ago included some Hong Kong um, customs um, seizures, which, has, which had happened and were trying to stop this happening because it was noticed by the Hong Kong Customs Department that huge numbers of, um, of, of especially spiny lobster, yeah, mm. spiny lobster from Western Australia is the main ingredient that has been uh, found to be brought in in quantities that couldn't possibly be consumed by the Hong Kong consumer uh, restaurants or domestic consumer. So, so what happened to those lobsters? So, so they never made it to the mainland? They never made it to mainland China? Or did some of them make it and then some of them were in Hong Kong? Or what happened to them? Well, I mean, the investigation that went on for a few months some time ago was uh, there were some that were seized. When when any kind of food products get seized, it gets destroyed, Mm. unfortunately. That's just the way it goes because it's illegal. So it has to be destroyed in in the same way that any contraband does, you know, Mm. whether it's drink or drugs or whatever. And um, but the um, the the reason I'm talking about it today, I'm not just doing a flashback to three months ago, is because on Friday um, there was a news report don't know if you heard about it, where three tons of mostly spiny lobster, it was all lobster from Australia, was caught in a bust by Hong Kong Customs on Friday. Oh, so again? That was, yes. I mean, it's, um, that, well, what's happening is that since the, not, not because of the investigation by SCMP, but, the, but Customs were on it anyway a few mm. months ago. However, there's, there are so many legitimate crossings by commercial and private vessels going, you know, for, for for freight and cargo going between Hong Kong and mainland China, that there's always going to be some that gets through because there's a demand. Same with any contraband goods in any country. It's um, where there's a demand, it's going to happen. And that's why customs are there. But they just got this massive seizure on Friday, which is colossal. That's 3,000 kilograms, equal, equaling three tonnes, 
which was uh, believed to be smuggled to the mainland. 13 people were arrested on suspicion of making inadequate import declarations, i.e. not writing down what was on board. And a statement was given by the Customs Department in Hong Kong by Rita Lee, who um, said that Hong Kong Customs have set up a dedicated team to step up intelligence exchanges with the mainland, uh, law enforcement agencies, to, uh, to conduct in-depth intelligent analysis about the movement of, you know, illegal foodstuffs. So it really is under scrutiny. And so it's surprising the ghoul that, um, you know, that, that, that those trying to get up across the border to make a quick buck were taking such a quantity, because that's huge. Um, as part of the operation, also, mainland officials arrested seven people. So that's 13 here, seven in the mainland, and uh, seized more on the mainland side. 2,000 kilograms were seized, so I guess that means the remaining 1,000 were seized on this side of the border. So it's still going on. Just wanted to mention it because it was something that popped up and it was that's such a massive amount. I thought, you know, just was going to mention it's still something going on. So um, next item is about a, a really good in-depth long read, but you have to be able to read either Chinese characters or, uh, or to get a uh, translated version as I did by... A, a magazine, a web zine that is based in Asia. There's, there, there are writers and editors in Hong Kong and Singapore called The Initium, I-N-I-T-I-U-M. And it's a Chinese language web zine then that publishes uh, all kinds of lifestyle content, mostly. It's all about so there's good food and in uh, normal times travel and all sorts of other lifestyle pursuits. And it's a long-form article about bubble tea's origins and the way it... <laughs> you the, and your uh, bubble tea. Well, I, I, we've spoken about it before. I'm not a huge fan. I oh, like right. it now and then. Yeah, yeah I, you are, aren't you? I, I, yeah, I quite like bubble tea, but uh, not so much the bubble, just the tea. So less oh. bubble. Yeah, I, I so find it creamy, a bit too chewy. Yeah, I know. I actually quite like that chewy, the bite of those tapioca... Oh, yeah, tapioca um, balls. You know, yeah. Balls. I mean, they, I like it when they're kind of... when they do have that chew and real bite to it. But but I wouldn't... I know it's not very healthy to to uh, drink too many of them. I, I know we've spoken about that before. But what's interesting, though, for the, for, for the listener that may be a fan of it, to know... You, maybe some people will know this already, but of course it came from Taiwan originally. But the first and second generation... Taiwanese who took it to other parts of the world, including Hong Kong and Singapore, where it became hugely popular as introduced by, by Taiwanese emigres or immigrants here in Singapore who, um, who served it quietly, as they did in other parts of the world, not, not quietly meaning that, that they didn't expect it to be a big booming hit to be projecting bubble tea as the main item in a, you know, in a, in a cafe or restaurant. But that's the way it became because of the response to people where it was kind of just a casual item served at cafes that went mad. But in America, it is huge. And in um, uh, part of this pretty interesting article mentions that in April this year, the, um, there was a New York Times article that said that there is another that had a big story called another unlikely pandemic shortage, bubble tea. And it was like it was like it was crying out, oh, no, you know, there's like, like this is how bad things have got with the with the pandemic. There's no there's, we can't get a cup of bubble tea anywhere. That was in that was in um, April when America at that time was getting 
through the worst of a particular phase of COVID and things were becoming relaxed in terms of people being able to go to cafes and restaurants. Actually, um, I'm. I, mm. we, we didn't have that same problem in, in Hong Kong, but there was a. But um, because of the pandemic, you couldn't bring your own bubble tea cup, um, and everything oh. was so disposable, and they didn't let you use your own yeah. straws. So then I thought, right. So um, I bought bubble tea uh, from uh, HKTV Mall, and and you can make it yourself. Oh, hang on. Do you mean a kit there? Yeah, the oh, kit. I know the shop. I know the shop you mean. But, no, but no, no. There's, there's, a, there's a kit that comes in a box and you can make your own bubble tea. It only takes like a couple of minutes. I mean, if anybody huh. out there, you know, ha- needs to have a bubble tea party and you can make your own bubble tea at home. <laughs> I like, if anyone needs to. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, well, so, so, I mean, is it, is it kind of like sachets of uh, yeah. tea? Is it pre-mixed? Yeah, it's yeah. pre-mixed, um, and then one sachet is uh, just sort of, um, it's not really totally dried, it's a bit damp, the uh, tapioca balls, and then you just have yeah. to uh, mix them with oh. a bit of hot water, and it springs back into life, um, and they're right, quite right, tasty, right. And, and, the tea, um, and, and the tea tastes pretty good, and it's not too sweet, so you can, you can oh, add right, your right. own sweetness if, if you need to make it a bit sweeter. For, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty tasty, I, I quite like it. If you have to add, though, uh, hot water or boiling water to the tapioca balls, um, do you have to kind of, like, wait a while, chill it down? and uh, Maybe and... warm water. Yeah, I used hot because I, I just wanted it a bit more chewy. Oh, yeah, 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 urgent. I yeah. needed it. Um, but you can add ice to it. I don't care it. what temperature is. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Right, well, so... The, the, there was a, a real difficulty, as we've, as we've heard with many, many different things over these last two years, of the logistics for tapioca pearls. In America, more than 90% of the tapioca starch, so the flour, the, the ground tapioca, comes from Taiwan. There are first and second generation uh, makers of bubble tea uh, because parents would have would have been serving it in Taiwanese restaurants, then they became the big craze for it. And their kids have started or either carried on their own parents' chains or, or independent cafes and restaurants, or they have started their own as a new generation, let's say, finishing education and deciding to launch something, not necessarily taking over from parents. So there's, there's one really interesting one called Boba Guys, and that's three partners in uh, in the US that has just done really well. In fact, it obviously thinks it's done very well because it claims to be the best bubble tea in the world. In the and that's, world? Um, oh, come <laughs> that's what it says. Yeah. This is second generation uh, Taiwanese, three Taiwanese guys who have um, who have decided to do that. So, you know, uh, they've actually, got the kind of kudos. Yeah, yeah the, the, the sort of cloud. Because, you know, um, a lot of the times people say Hong Kong has really great dim sum, but I heard Vancouver yeah. has the best dim sum in the world because of sort really? of... Yeah, because yeah. A, a lot of the chefs... The heritage. So, well, yeah, the chefs left Hong Kong um, and, and then started their own business there and, and you know, for whatever reason, in the, ni- in the 80s and the 90s. So then Vancouver has the best dim sum. I, I, I don't know. Wow. Um, so maybe it's possible that, you know... Overseas yeah. are the yeah. yeah yeah. I mean, in this in this case, they're claiming it as people who were born in America, second generation Taiwanese. These three early twenty, you know, blokes. And uh, so, I mean, they yeah. And what what you're what you're talking about is something that I went to Paris uh, once and went to Chinatown. 
I was I was on a media trip and I was I wanted to see what restaurants what Chinese restaurants were like in Chinatown, in uh, in Paris, and they were terrible. And it was uh, and that was and that because <laughs> they were they were they were trying to do too many things. When I looked at the menu, it claims to be Chinese, but it also sold Korean dishes, Vietnamese, Thai spring rolls. It was just, it, you know, it, it was like... It was just too um, much, yeah. It, it, but, but it was, it was Southeast it was Asian, Asian plus yeah. Chinese. Oh. It, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really, it was the only place that I had a great Chinese meal in Paris on that same trip because I was kind of trying to hunt down food items for for publications that I was writing for. And I think I may have also reported some of the better findings to you on this, on this very program, was that um, it was in, a, was in a hotel. It was in a hotel, and I won't name the hotel, but it's one of the big groups in Hong Kong, and they had brought a chef over from Hong Kong. I might as well have been eating in a Hong Kong restaurant. Oh, so wow. Kind of, yeah. That's I mean, good to I mean, know. That, that, Silver that, lining. That is well. Yeah, and anyone, anyone who wanted to... Um, have authentic uh, Cantonese food because it was non it was non gimmicky it wasn't the kind of high end sort of stuff with dry ice and stuff it was just it was really good quality mm. yeah, dim sum and whatever and that was uh, so that that was interesting but I agree um, I hadn't heard that about Vancouver though interesting mm. but back to the fast food chains which the Boba guys are they basically sell. Um, bubble tea and snacks, but even fast food chains, which are more selling burgers and Mexican and taco, are also serving up bubble tea with, you know, with instead of well, as well as a milkshake in a burger place, or as well as whatever you might have a lime soda or a beer with a with a Mexican restaurant. So they've kind of gone really mainstream and interestingly popular across all sorts of restaurants and platforms in, 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 the, in the States. And this holding up of uh, tapioca, um, ta- of tapioca flour in its kind of ground form meant that, uh, that there was a big lull in it. And in some restaurants, some of the most popular places like that, Boba Guys, they would only serve one uh, bubble tea per order during um, the late oh, spring and summer. Because, because it, was so, it, it, it was so scarce. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's kind of... I, 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 it's really interesting. I do recommend uh, this this story, but as I say, you've got, to, you've got to Google around a bit to find an English-language version because the actual website itself, which is called the Initium, I-N-I-T-I-U-M, is um, in Chinese language only. If you can read that, you can get it in full there. Um, also, just one one last thing that was mentioned in this kind of history of around Asia and further afield of bubble tea going getting popular around the world was um, that they came across in 2017 again the same newspaper that uh, that was that was quoted as um, talking about the scarcity earlier this year. The New York Times published an article uh, four years ago, 2017, which said well, the headline was. Um, uh, that bubble tea purveyors continue to grow along with the drink's popularity. And that was 2017, where they noticed how it was becoming a bit of a cult drink or really trendy drink. And they used words in the article such as exotic, Far East, and other words which were to describe the tapioca tea drink. And it caused a massive backlash. And a few days later, the New York Times, you know, in very PC terms, it was obliged to publish an apology piece, um, which was entitled, Our Readers Call Us Out Over Bubble Tea and Their Rights. 
admitting that bubble tea was not something exotic. People were getting offended by the word exotic and <laughs> by saying that it had Far East flavours. And, uh, and, and they admitted in this apology that bubble tea has long become a part of our culture in America. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, a, it's just, it's just, it's just studied with interesting facts. It so, can so. be exotic. I mean, what, I, I mean, I, how should I, how should I say? Okay, so there's this uh, bubble tea place uh, in Kennedy Town that I really like to mm. go to, um, but I don't really have bubble tea with regular tea. You see, I like to have it with chocolate tea. And how do you make this? I, I make it at home nowadays, but without the bubbles. Oh. Um, so you oh. know, you have English breakfast tea. Um, mm-hmm. And instead of, oh, pardon me, I'm just choking up here. Um, <laughs> salivating there. I know, salivating. Um, pardon me, sorry. Um, so you have it with um, uh, uh, English breakfast tea, but instead mm-hmm. of putting milk in it, you put chocolate milk in it. And, and oh. I know this sounds really odd, but it's really tasty. Have you ever tried drinking um, English breakfast tea with chocolate milk instead of regular milk? No, and when you say chocolate milk, so do you mean actually the liquid form? You're putting it into the tea, not chocolate powder, like not drinking Yeah, yeah, powder. not not chocolate powder, just like, you know, when you go to the uh, yeah. supermarket and instead sure. of getting chocolate regular milk, yeah. milk, yeah, you get the right. chocolate milk, um, you know, whatever brand it is. No, I know, um, the, yeah, the cold I know exactly one. what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and no, it's really good. Andrew, please, can you give it a try and maybe report back to our listeners? I, I will. In fact, I might do that this week. Get yeah. back to you next week. Thank um, you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change tack here um, as we started off this uh, segment with a happy gin day i want to mention something about gin and uk producers just over the last few days have been calling upon the government over there in the uk to freeze duty on spirits uh because their gin exports have plummeted 35 percent as a result of the pandemic look we all know um and you've been talking about it today about how popular gin is now especially uh, all of those different kind of interesting infusions from small producers. And so it has been a really rapidly climbing uh, sphere for alcoholic drinks. Yeah, it's spirits. expensive in Hong Kong too. We've got 100% tax here for spirits. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Exactly, it is very expensive. And uh, some of these small small batch ones really are. Mm. But the, uh, the Wine and Spirit Trade Association has said that gin has suffered the sharpest decline out of all of the UK's top 10 food yeah. and drink export categories. They're at the top of the list for having a massive slash in customers from outside of the UK. So they're asking for, during this autumn financial budget, which is coming up very soon, to, uh, to, get, a, to get a waiving of tax because they say, this organisation, that 73% of the cost of a bottle is, uh, is uh, of a bottle of gin in the UK is taken by tax from the government there and VAT, value-added tax, which we don't have in Hong Kong. But it's um, so they are they're, they're looking for a kind of a, you know a, a bit of help getting back on track because mm-hmm. they've really suffered. Um, they they they've suffered up to uh, um, 35% in recent times, and uh, last year it was almost by half of their sales and earnings. And so they were, as we've spoken about many times before, stuck with too many vats or bottles of gin and not knowing how to get rid of them. Wow, that's so, such a shame. Yeah, wow. Yeah. What, what, what a downer for International Gin Tonic Day, though. M- maybe... Yes, sorry about that, but, may, but maybe, what, what can I say? It, um, maybe can, people travelling to the UK can start buying and enjoying gin. 
Yeah, or do some mail order ones because there are there are some amazing there are some amazing ones. You know what a lot of these gin producers did, and we've spoken about it before, is they turned their hand to making sanitizers, hand sanitizers. Oh, yeah. Some of them, yeah, 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 some of them were, yeah, Vodka they too. sold some of them. Yeah, yeah, they did they did sell some, but they also donated a lot to the uh, the UK's National Health Service, which is like their hospital authority over there, to um, because they wanted to do something with the produce that they have, even if they couldn't sell it. So there's maybe the silver lining to to the problem they had. Yeah. Um, uh, We've got about uh, 30 seconds before we have to wrap up, Andrew. You're a gin Mm. fan. Um, What do you sort of uh, have your... Do you have sipping gin or do you sort of pair your gin up with, you know... Oh, sorry. What what sort of food do you pair gin up with? That's a question I wanted to ask you. I think, I mean, I think gin actually goes pretty well with either uh, salty nibbles like um you know like a like a charcuterie or of either meat or cheese or those kind of things and olives that goes pretty well with that a gin and tonic fantastic mm. to eat with that but um you can also have it with uh with with soda rather than tonic to really enjoy these different infusions i don't like it straight but with soda it brings out the flavor more because there are there are all of these infusions and you read about them on the label but if you put a tonic in there you're not going to taste them Excellent. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And I look forward to uh, more chats with you uh, later on this week for Artsing Around. Thank you so much. Indeed. Thank you. Bye Have a good for afternoon. Now. Thank you. Bye. And